Trust Your Struggle is a, a place of inspiration. Uh, we have these conversations with individuals about their monumental struggles that they've had in their life, uh, what they've done to overcome them, how these struggles and what they've done have uh, kind of helped define who they are today. The one and only Salvador Lee Bravo. He's a consumer insight designer on the innovation team within the healthcare industry. This is very rewarding for him because what they innovate will impact a bunch of lives. He quotes Bob Moesta that you should look to where people are struggling to do something, and that's going to give you the insight for your product or service. Early on, he grew up in the LBC, where you would find out how many degrees of separation you are from Snoop, and learning you should never live more than a few blocks away from the nearest taco stand. But his biggest struggle has been with what's going on in his head, and how to try and master that. Enjoy as we get deep and philosophical on this episode. Well, I'm Salvador Lee Bravo, 38 years old. I uh, live in Phoenix, Arizona currently, and originally from Long Beach, California. Born and raised Southern California dude, trying to still figure out his way through the desert. And my <laughs> family consists of uh, my wife, Katie, who you know, our daughter, Billy, uh, a pretty wild and mean German shepherd, and a pretty lazy cat named Felix. Um, so yeah, I'm just chilling here in, in Phoenix, living this stage of life out. I'm really enjoying it, considering everything that's going on in the world at the moment. Sure. Uh, yeah, a little bit of who I am in my background. Nice. And when did you move to Arizona? Or how old were you? Oh, dude, I didn't know I had to do math in this, in this <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> shit, that's a good question. Uh, 2011. So I moved here in okay. 2011. Um, so I was about 29, maybe about to be 30. Um, that was really interesting. I moved here because of a relationship that I was in at the time. The person I was seeing was living in Tucson. They were planning on moving to Phoenix. And I followed suit um, to join them. And a lot of change was happening in my life. I don't want to dig too much into that. Maybe we'll touch on that later in our conversation, but there was a, a spiritual transformation. I was trying, I was going through um, a lot changing internally, a lot of struggle, hence the name of the podcast. Um, but as with any change that's really big like that, really monumental in one's life, a lot of factors go into that. And a lot of things have made me change because of that mood. So Phoenix for me is, 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 a, is a very clear delineation in terms of another chapter in my life, another segment in my life. And it really um, separates a big part of who I was and, 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 and really has embodied kind of who I am today and who I think of myself today. Yeah. And uh, so what are you doing currently right now in your career? So currently I'm working for in, in a new role within a healthcare system here in Phoenix on an innovation team. I'm on the consumer insights part of that team and design thinking part of that team. And my role there really is to help this healthcare organization start paving the way of what the future of healthcare might be, trying to think of new and novel ways to deliver healthcare to our communities and to our states. Um, but what intrigued me the most is, I've done a lot of this type of work, and we'll dig into my career, I'm sure later, for the last seven, eight years, and there's a lot of organizations that have innovation teams, right? Teams who are centered on trying to solve really big 
wicked problems, trying to create the new X, Y, or Z product that's going to shock the market. But I was never really, the problem I saw with a lot of these teams is, is kind of the, the rigor they had was really poor or bad or innovation didn't mean true innovation. It just meant like optimizing things and little slow changes, or it was um, a pet project of someone high up in an organization, right? We need to have an innovation team to, to stand out. And when I talked to the folks um, here, they didn't have that spirit. You know, they worked outside of a corporate office. They kind of ran more like a startup, you know, and, and they weren't didn't work on projects that were just trying to improve things throughout the organization. They were really trying to create new market space and had this great sense of freedom that really fit what, what, what I was trying to do. So that really intrigued me. And healthcare was something I had a lot of experience in. It wasn't at, at that point, at least a few months ago, wasn't something that I was thought I might spend the rest of my career doing. I thought I would love to spend a little bit of time doing this, especially with the idea that what you innovate on impacts a bunch of folks. But it's crazy being through this, being in this pandemic and looking at it through this healthcare lens. And it does a lot of, of it shifts something inside of you in terms of where you might want to place your energy career-wise because you start immediately seeding some of the dividends of your work because things are moving so fast now and work's right. getting pushed out. And it's kind of a really good feeling, right? To like, man, I'm that, that, that one thing I did is, is impacting somebody's life or this thing that our team's working on is like um, having X, Y, or Z impact. And, and, and it's to help people, you know, um, in our community and, and to improve good in our community. So, it's made me think about my position in relation to healthcare. I'm not sure where I've landed on yet, but it's definitely a good thing in terms of um, my experience so far. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, like you said, you're, you're seeing the results of your labor and, and really disrupting the, the industry um, and the way they've been doing things for so long. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, my career prior to that was on the consulting side. And you, I'm sure you're familiar with this, you know, uh, with the consultants that you come across. So one of the, one of the bad things about being a consultant is that you don't get as much skin in the game as you would like, right? So it's very easy to say, here's what you guys should do. And then, you your know, hands off. your hands off. And, and I personally don't really like that, right? Because I like to have that responsibility tied to what I'm doing, but it's, there's also, it's really difficult business-wise to be able to do that, right? You're not working for the organization that you're consulting on, um, but you don't get to see a lot of the things that you created, built, and then you don't even get that experience. A lot of the times have that hands-on um, experience and seeing some of the things that you've recommended and come to life. So it was important for me to look at the next stage in my career. It's like, well, I, I know how to, gather recommendations and gather insight, right? I need to be able to build that other uh, muscle around seeing it through building a product through all the way or building a service through or whatever it is and experience um, because I think that's lacking in, in my toolbox. So th that was part yeah. of the impetus and the move to, to this new position. And how long have you been doing that new position? Dude, March, the very end of February. So wow. I got in, I onboarded in like sec week two, we were in quarantine. So I've spent like a handful of time in person with my team. Uh, and, you know, those other times just being, being here at home. 
it's funny because we are we hired a couple more folks after me and they haven't even met most of the folks on our team in person so it's just the right. reality of that new world who knows yeah exactly like that might be how it's going to be for her definitely a, a long period of time so. yeah it's going to be like that for a minute right and so you're uh kind of a new father uh how old is billy now billy just turned two in may so yep. uh she's 26 months yeah, and how that works talk from about. home. And... <laughs> like, you know, one of the things I thought about was um, when she was born and I got to have a, a couple of weeks off to be with her, um, to take paternity leave. What was really sad at the end of that was thinking like, oh, you know, I'm never going to have like this much close time with her probably ever again, you know, unless... I, I end up working from home in some capacity when I just didn't see that to be a reality. So that's been a real blessing to have that much time with her. And, you know, we we're so close now and she's probably having the time of her life. She's just around her two favorite people, you know, eating fucking goldfish all day long, and just <laughs> yeah. watching Sesame street and doing arts and crafts, being with mom and dad. She's really, really happy. It, you know, it, she's not struggling right in her mind she has everything that she needs and that's quite sure. a wonderful perspective to have um and to some degree like i i kind of do as well right like there's that struggle that we've we've all faced as what you shared earlier when this pandemic started up the kind of fear that was present among everybody just based on the uncertainty of work family what happens if i get sick etc um and now reeling back you know really I'm sure everybody's had this kind of um, thinking or, or have this thought that I kind of have everything I, I, I need. There's a lot of other things I want. Like I would love to have like, you know, a night out with some friends and, and some wine and um, I would love to, you know, be go to a show. Again. Yeah. Go on a show again. Um, but as far as what I need and what's like, you know, going to create that foundation of what happiness is for my life. Um, I got it, man. It's all under here under this roof. If I lose things, you know, a job or, um, you know, God forbid, you know, I don't think this would happen, but, you know, people are are losing homes and a lot of things that are valuable for their lives. I, I w would hope I can maintain the perspective that th those things you can rebuild, right? They may be really painful to rebuild and take a really long time to rebuild, but you definitely can. But you can't rebuild your family and those, those crucial elements. So that's been a really wonderful and helpful reminder for me during these times true yeah true now is that something like just with that reminder and, and having that mindset is that something that you you're kind of like pulling from your childhood at all just like that that, that sense of like family and and knowing like you know this is uh this is all i need that's a good question man i think um it's definitely pulling from something it's probably due more to, uh, I'm sure that there's some lesson in there from my parents around gratitude and um, being satisfied with the things that you have and, and not wanting too much and just, just knowing the value of family. Um, there's some of that in there. I think a lot of that also is some of the struggle I've just overcome in my life in terms of being aware of who I am, uh, being able to kind of trying to at least nowhere near it, but master my own self, emotions, and my mind, 
and then just holding being 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 in a situation where where I can practice having a good perspective on life, right? I like that you said practicing. Yeah, that's what it is, man. It's all practice, right? Um, So I I think it's part of all those things. Um, But in this perspective is, and I'm sure as as you know, man, like I'm just a hyper kind of introspective dude and philosophical dude, and that was my degree. And so the things I strive for in life kind of all have this foundation in terms of let's examine what's going on in your mind. Let's examine what's going on in your heart. Let's examine what's going on in the world. And how do your beliefs match up to that? How are, is, how do your behaviors match up to that? Where are you feeling your stress, your anxiety, your fear? Um, and is there any truths that you can look to that might help you navigate through that? That might help you put you at ease and that, you know, might actually help you build a better foundation for yourself. Yeah, that's so powerful. Thanks. That, really, uh, that, that was really my first is. line that I wrote down. So I got, I have about 10 of them that I wrote for that. Nice. Did, did you want to get in a little bit about uh, growing up in, in Long Beach? Because, you know, that's a totally different environment uh, up here in Phoenix. Yeah, let's do it, man. Um, cool. Is there anything specific you want to know about growing up in the LBC? <laughs> Just your experience about it, you know, like what that was like. Well, when you are born, they tell you how many degrees of separation you are from Snoop Dogg. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> it's funny because Long Beach is known for kind of these these two things, Snoop Dogg and, and gangster rap, you know, and, and Sublime. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, in some ways, it really embodies that. A lot in of other ways, and a lot of fucking weed. <laughs> right. um, and in other ways, it doesn't. I haven't lived there for you know almost a decade, but it's it's this interesting city. When I was growing up, it was being mentioned along like as one of like the most diverse cities in the country. We have the I believe this is still true. It, it might not be, but at the time. I think we had like the high, the second highest population of Cambodian or Cambodian population. The first being the capital of Cambodia. So outside of that, we had wow. and we had like these really other high populations of um, uh, other Asian countries and, and nationalities. There's a lot of El Salvadorians, which is where my mom's from. So we had all these like niche, smaller nationalities and countries represented in Long Beach. And then growing up you really saw that in your schools. Um, it, it's this port city, right? Like as the port of LA is one of the biggest ports uh, in the nation, I believe it might even be the biggest one. So growing up, you had a lot of friends whose parents were longshoremen. This is like East Coast, Baltimore kind of like work that you think only lives, you know, happened on the East Coast, but, but there was a lot of that port like uh, blue collar mentality in Long Beach. And then it got really hit hard by some of the um, uh, economic turmoil in the late 70s and, and 80s. Um, times where I, I weren't alive to see these, but it just kind of gives you this background of uh, what this city was like. Because um, it was really this port city and then the community around it kind of developed to support those longshoremen. And now it's this, you know, second biggest city in, in L.A. County. I don't think it's at a million population, but it's probably hovering right below that. Um, and growing up there, 
I think that diversity was part of that. You know, we grew up extremely poor without many means. Um, the, my first home was a garage that we lived in the garage, my aunt's garage. Um, the next place we lived in wasn't much bigger. It was just like a little apartment. Um, the four of us, my, my mom and dad and, and my brother. Um, and, but life was kind of like, at least from my eyes, somewhat happy. You know, you learn a lot of humility. You learn not to um, want things that you don't necessarily need. But you also, you know, one of the things I'm so, so grateful for is growing up in like, maybe then, then it was obviously not the greatest parts of the city, some of the worst parts. Um, you get to know uh, the streets really well. And that sounds very like cliche, but I don't know how else to put it other than like, that's a huge part of my DNA. You know, I'm very, very comfortable in like those environments, very, very comfortable and like those kind of situations and dynamics. Um, you know, I, I always said like, and I don't have this luxury now, but I remember being a kid thinking like, I should never live more than like two or three blocks away from like a really good taco stand. Right? <laughs> like outdoor taco, like that's the kind of like feeling I've always liked is like that busyness and that, that sense of community. Um, because you immediately know that the kids you're meeting down the street um, are probably experiencing that same struggle, right? Like not sure. getting very many like Christmas gifts, not getting very like any um, birthday gifts. They may be a little bit marginalized in the schools that they're in. Um, and then I was really lucky enough that my, my core group of friends today all kind of had that same experience. And one thing that I'm super, 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 super grateful for is, is having that. I, I really firmly believe that it created, I think, a positive chip on my shoulder that I was hopefully able to use later in life to leverage things. But getting that exposure and being able to, to be comfortable in that kind of environment, you, you can, you can leverage that and learn how to how to operate in other environments right i was later lucky enough to go get a really good higher education um to be interested in a lot of things that a lot of the kids i grew up weren't interested in um, and that allowed me the opportunity to also be able to interact in other situations with people from other socioeconomical backgrounds and so having those like you know to this day i can walk down um, those streets where I grew up and still have a conversation about hip hop, you know, throwing up tags, you know, yeah. like what have you. And that's, I'm so blessed to have that, to have that perspective. One of the things as a parent that you look at, and not that you won't want your child to like suffer through something like that. Right. Um, but they don't get to have that experience. Like they're going to grow up, you know, without some of those things that might sharpen them in a specific way. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, it just makes you realize, you know, they're gonna have a very different world. Um, I have to be very thoughtful about how they don't think, take things for granted, how um, they're still comfortable in maybe some situations they didn't grow up in, right? Cause, mm -hmm. and, and allow them to see people um, from a certain perspective right to have a kind of humility and uh equality towards how they view the world um not judge others and there, there's just a lot of what that experience brings and you know one of the things as a parent is 
I think those are strengths and it's hard to kind of take, pull that from inside of you and dial it into your childhood. They're going to have far different strengths than me. Right. So we'll see, we'll see um, yeah. how that pans out. And I think like, you'll be able to teach like the things that you learned or not even learned, just things that you gained um, from those experiences and like how those things have like shaped you. That's something you'll be able to teach to your kids, you know, Absolutely. Uh, they're not gonna yeah. be able to live it the way that you did, but the things that you learned from that and that you got out of it, are things you can be able to distill in them and just make them better human beings. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Absolutely, yeah. man. So, so that was life in Long Beach. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, then it was on to Phoenix then, huh? Then, well, I lived around LA a little bit um, while okay. I was going to school and after school, but, you know, Long Beach is still my home and I never veered too far from, from that nest. Then I moved, yeah, I went to UCLA, studied philosophy. Dude, I, it's funny because... Um, out of, out of high school, I barely graduated high school. This is how much of like an idiot I was. Um, I think my GPA from high school was literally like a 1.54 or something like that. It was, it, I was a horrible student and I wasn't those like, I'm just bored because I'm, I'm actually really smart. I was literally that dumb. <laughs> my math <laughs> skills were like at a freshman level. My reading and writing skills were like at an eighth grade level. You know, there's a lot I can say about the educational system in terms of how I was able to like glide on by with that. But um, yeah. I I only graduated, I think, because I went to summer school every year in high school uh, and I got into like drama and film my senior year and I got really good grades there. But the core of my education was, was horrible, man. I remember my first year of college, I was at a community college, Long Beach City College took a, um, you know, did you like your entry exams so they can place you in the right level math and English and all that. So yeah. it took like a, a English and math and like my English entrance was right above the ESL classes. It was like, here were the ESL classes and then here was like the next English. It was like high school English or something like that. It was really bad. And then my math was like, I don't even know, like basic GI. It was just horrible. So I, I was a really bad student, and that didn't start off. That, that didn't help me in college, too, because the first two or three years I was in college, I, I, didn't, I don't think I got anything higher than a C. And if I got a C, that was rare. I was, like, on academic probation basically from the moment I started. Um, and somehow, by some miracle, I lightened up and got to UCLA and there's a there's a big story there about that but um i not that i hate it i love being at school like school is fucking i was just fun, gonna dude. ask you yeah, did you hate it or, yeah, no. i love being at school man like i loved hanging with my friends we ditched did a lot of drugs drank a lot <laughs> like i was fun as fuck um i just didn't you know this is no knock on on my parents at all but my mom is an immigrant my dad is an immigrant um, and their educational background wasn't one to really be aware of what education can provide you here in this country. And to, to, to them, you know, and I wasn't a bad kid, you know, um, I didn't make trouble in class and I wasn't like, I didn't get in fights. It was just kind of like a goof. Um, and it just didn't really care. But in their mind, I think, Part of it was, you know, as, as long as he's not in gangs and we're not getting like letters about how, you know, 
disruptive he is and maybe his grades kind of suck but like it wasn't too big of a worry so there wasn't really any like motivation and then i certainly didn't have that intrinsically i had work ethic in a very different way and where you were you talking about your work ethic there um where'd you get that from oh from my parents gotcha. they're okay. latin american man they're latin american it was i had zero work ethic for school but a lot of work ethic and today for um like work right like my my parents are both small business owners my mom's still a small business owner my dad owned a bunch of like mechanic shops growing up and always always trying to like start his own businesses i grew up basically in his his tire shop every day after school would go and like clean his tools like mop the floors like help with his you know rebuilding an engine or our backyard was like a typical like hispanic uh <laughs> family's backyard there was like 20 cars back there that were all having yep. some form of being built or rebuilt um or fixed we had a we had a 64 and a half mustang back there though that was kind of cool um, Whoa. yeah man he rebuilt that from the ground up pretty much and sold it at one point uh, we had this Bad cool, he had a, which I, I to this day now want to buy one, but he had this old, I think it was like an 80, maybe 78 or 82 Datsun. Um, it was really boxy, kind of they would race him in the streets because they were super fucking light. Um, so he was like a, just a mechanic, like a, a lot of other Mexican immigrants were really worked hard at starting his own business. My mom was a real estate agent. She still is, still has her own business. Um, right. they both busted their ass, man. Um, and, and I'm the same way when it comes to work. Like I love the hustle, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 that's part of, I think, you know, in a very general way, what that, what, the, um, immigrants have, at that point and probably since then as well, um, have really given to maybe my generation because I see that on all my friends I said that with a core group of friends who all who have very similarly first generation parents are from Mexico or Central America, um, all hard workers, all hard workers. That, so that, that description I gave you of, of how I grew up, that's like times eight with like my other <laughs> friends, all horrible students. And yet now today um, we've all managed some degree of success. I'm probably the least successful of them. Some of them are like, you know, creative directors of really big agencies in LA, lawyers, like they're owning their own businesses. Yeah. Um, we just kind of brightened up and lightened up. And, but I do think a big part of it is, is you, one thing that, um, one of the things that unites us is kind of that work ethic and that mentality towards business and working within, within business. Um, because you, there's a, there's just a lot with experience and that and the appreciation that goes into like a hard day's earned money, right? The value of money, um, the value of, being able to have your own business, see it succeed or failure. One thing I always tell folks that um, I, I, I'm really, really thankful and grateful that I get an opportunity to kind of guest speak on like some classes at ASU or do other forms of conversations like this um, with students um, as I'm like critiquing portfolios or just people that reach out to me. And one of the pieces of advice that I always give students is, especially within the design community, is um, you should learn how to sell something. Like, start a business, you know, I, I hate using this term because it, and I don't mean to be political at all, but it just, it sounds like it's coming through the mouth of our 
idiotic president make a deal. But I don't know how else to say it. Like the value of like, can you make something, you know, and get somebody else to buy it from you? And if you can, like the kind of, for me at least, the kind of respect and appreciation you would have walking into like my organization saying, hey, I built this, you know, people bought it or people didn't buy it, but here's what I learned. I think that gives a leg up to you as a designer coming up or as a researcher or design thinker um, to just have that skill, to know what it's like to get punched in the mouth by the market, react to it, or to know what it's like to have success, right? Yeah. Well, and also the, just going through those uh, hard times, you know, and all those lessons, yeah, you, all those fa failures, right? I guess like, you know, if you're doing your own thing and like you said, I think it's a great piece of advice. Um, so props to you for like, you know, when you're doing portfolio reviews or giving any speak, uh, speaking things is, is talking about that because uh, there's so much you learn about yourself um, and how you can connect with other people too, like through that. So that's, that's huge. That's awesome. Dude, I, and you're probably seeing this a little bit, you know, as a creative director and, and somebody that's um, uh, at the top level of this hierarchy, and you tell me if I'm wrong, man, but like, you know, a lot, some of the, some of the salary demands I've heard from some of the younger generation, like the very young generation is yeah. like, what, dude, you know? It, so to me, having that experience is just like bring some humility and, um, For sure. it, and I'm, I'm in no way saying somebody is or isn't worth what they're asking for. There's, there's a big part of like, Hey, you should also learn how to negotiate and, and know your value as well. But um, paired with with some of the background and the things they have to say, it's just very disproportionate. And for sure, oh man, that's such a good. I've had so many experiences with that. You know, I'm just it's, I'm like, where are you where are you coming from? You know, I mean, especially from people that are just getting out of college. Um, you know, and expecting this stuff. And there's you learn so much more when you're in the field than you ever yeah, would learn when you're in school. So Absolutely, you have man. to like, you have to be in there and do that because the real life situations they they don't teach you, you know? And I wish that that was something that was definitely applied more in, in education, especially within like design, um, advertising, marketing, like any of that kind of stuff is really real life application, um, situation. Oh yeah. Well, dude, I didn't learn anything of what I'm doing today in school. <laughs> right? um, you know, Katie, you know, my, my wife, um, she didn't go to school for, for copywriting, you know, like almost everybody I know um, today in, in this community, you know, it, it maybe you, you probably had like some design um, background with, with like school, right? But like, even then when it's like technology based stuff in school, and again, maybe this is a little dated. I don't think so from who I'm talking to. You're still behind because, you know, they're probably the technology they're using in your class is like, wait a second, like, yeah, stuff is this is out of date. Why are we learning, you know? Oh, for this. sure. So just I, I have my own problems with like higher education and how it should be helping folks out and education in general. Uh, but yeah, that's something I always try to bring up to folks is learn how to. You, you don't have to go and make your own business, but it would be really valuable for you to understand what that's like a little bit. Because you you learn all the different facets of what it takes to run a business. Um, and, and you have a much better appreciation for all those different parts that go into it. And later on, when you're working at a company, you know, you understand all those different areas. I mean, it could be even just, you know, sending out an estimate or doing proposals or, you know, billing with clients, like any of that kind of stuff. 
you know, you're going to get that and, and uh, you're going to learn real quick. <laughs> yeah, dude, it, it's that. And then it's also, you know, probably something that I, I didn't foresee as much. And I don't know if you foresaw a lot, but design today is much more of, or is becoming much more business oriented, right? So as a designer, you don't just have to, a visual designer, understand the visual components, but business goals, right? How this is impacting like larger initiatives and operations with the organizations. You're having to have conversations with people that may not even be on the creative end of the business you're working with, right? So you have to understand where they're coming from um, and all that, yeah. Yeah, the only time you don't have to do that is if you're just a straight up visual art, uh, just an artist, right? You're in a, right. You're in a paint and that's right. a whole different segment. <laughs> I mean, you still got to learn how to sell because you got to sell yourself and you got to sell your art. But um, for that part, I mean, it's, it's, it's your vision and the message that you want to get out um, with your art. But anything else outside of that? No, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, man. It's, so, dude, let's uh, let's get into that monumental kind of struggle within your journey. The monumental point of struggle. Uh, I, I thought about this a little bit in the last couple of days and there's certainly some points I could point to in my life about immense struggle. But what I kept coming back to, Matt, was for me, all, all struggle is related to related to some sort of some sort of um, struggle one has with trying to become more self-aware. And so every struggle I've ever had in my life has been some variation of me struggling with self-awareness or a lack of self-awareness, whether it was deciding to get my act together and be a good student, whether it was deciding to like move to Phoenix to convert to Buddhism, you know, the struggle now of, of trying to be an, an all-time great dad that to me is is probably like my the the pinnacle of the things i want to do in my life if i can if i can end my life with with my child having really great parents and a wonderful uh, upbringing um that's greater than anything else i could ever do but to me all those things kind of all come back to self-awareness so how how are you as an individual trying to become more trying to be have a greater set of understanding as to why you do the things that you do why you feel the things that you feel and then why seemingly has your life gone the way it has and why have you had um, these sorts of tragedies in your life or these sorts of mental afflictions or obstacles that might seem like they're coming from the outside, but so much of how we react to them and they turn into pivotal moments in our lives is the way we've reacted to them. And so to me, the struggle's always been with what's going on in my head and how to try and master that, how to become, lack of a better term, more aware of what's going on in there. And it's really shifted and changed throughout every, every phase of my life. I converted to Buddhism because um, I just believed that it was going to help me get there. My career is, is in consumer insights. I mean, I, I'm in innovation and 
um, you know, I like to think of myself kind of as a human-centered designer, but really the core and what I really get pumped about is kind of consumer insights. It's finding out why people do the things that they do, why they buy shit that they buy, and how that relates to who they are as an individual. Because I can use that information, I can use that intelligence to go build a better experience, build a brand new product, go do X, Y, and Z. But it's funny, right? Like the professions that you're in speak so much as to who you are inside as a reflection of that. And going through my life as a consumer researcher where, where I spend an inordinate amount of time talking to people just about like why they do the things that they do from choosing a healthcare provider to you know, why they eat at certain Chinese food restaurants, to why they buy cream cheese, to why they buy pet food, to like everything under the sun. I've had the experience of doing some pretty cool stuff. And it's all been really helpful stuff for me to learn a little bit more about myself. Because that's kind of my ultimate goal in game there is to be more enlightened, um, to have a greater sense of transparency within who I am. So my, my struggle has always been that is, is mm-hmm. that marker that that goalpost keeps moving further and further away but that's that self-awareness piece and the, only because it's just going to give me the keys to kind of live through the kind of life that i feel like i want to have um and then make things like what we're experiencing now hopefully try to turn that into something positive or useful or helpful or manage it and navigate it through some kind of like sanity so so there's a lot of different moments where that comes up and I, I struggle to kind of think of one that really encapsulated it. And it's, it's, it's not one, but it's just a series of how that has evolved in my life. Yeah. Usually it is right. It's, it's those transformative, those things in your life that, that become transformative. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. Right. And that's huge, you know? Um, yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, sometimes it's not like a monumental part, but it's, uh, all these different things that have like led up to that. Yeah. You and know, it makes you who you are today. Absolutely. You know, one thing um, I, I can speak to um, converting to Buddhism because my practice has kind of suffered lately. I haven't practiced in a certain kind of way as I like to in the past, but um, I'm practicing in a very different way. But one of the things that, and, and, and why I find this unique is because I, I kind of find this concept um, contrary to maybe what others in, in my demographic might think or, or contrary to what like a postmodern way of looking at the world might be. So back in 2010, um, started exploring a lot of what Buddhism was. And a lot of people convert to religion. I know this because I've done work within work on religion, why people switch to different religions or, you know, decide to adopt a religion or abandon a religion. A lot of people switch um, because of something's happened in their life, something traumatic, and they need to transform, right? Whether it's they're encountering some, you know, heavy form of addiction, or they've they've encountered some really horrible family, like something massive has happened in their life, and, and they want to transform. I really didn't have that in my case. It, it was a lot more subtle, but in some way, it was always kind of the thing I was always thinking about. I studied philosophy. That was what I got degree and I thought I was just gonna teach existentialism for a very long time. I didn't, that didn't end up happening. 
probably for a good reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was always kind of plagued and obsessed with these very existential questions. What's the meaning of life? What does it mean to live a good life? How do you do that? Why is it that I kind of suffer in these in, in the way I do? Um, and one of the things I think I realized, it's, it's a very popular belief, say a postmodern belief to believe that there's a lot of different ways to, to view the world. And each of those ways is correct. And I don't dismiss that or, or, or um, feel like that's not true. But I think it's very difficult to go through a transformation in your life and change um, without, with, without following a very rigid kind of path. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, something had been bothering me for a very long time about the fact that, like, I've always, something that I think is present within our generation, we're kind of plagued with this notion of a better version of ourself, right? There's always kind of like this, this version of ourself that's a little bit more happier, a little bit more X, Y, or Z, a little bit more content with their surroundings, this, you know, more Zen-like individual that I imagine myself to be. And they're just kind of out of our reach. And that, that always bothered me that um, I never seemed to make any progress on that. One of the reasons I got into philosophy was I was hoping that the things I would learn there, I could think my way through being a better person. And certainly reading things like philosophy, moral philosophy, and existentialism help. But to me, I found it incredibly, um, at some point now, just egotistical to think that I could do that on myself, for me at least. That was my experience. Others may have something yeah. different. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, one of the things that, there's this Jungian idea of transformation. And so, and it's, it's very similar to like, like, um, like any kind of addiction program where the very first steps is you admit that, hey, there's something wrong with me and I want to be better and there is a way for me to be a better individual. Um, but along that way, you kind of have to make a commitment to like a higher order thing, whether that's religious whether that's not religious, but it could be like a set of principles, right? It's There's something outside of you that needs to guide how you're going to behave because you're kind of admitting that whatever was guiding you to behave in a certain way just wasn't working, right? right. Um, and then to do that really proper takes an incredible amount of discipline because what you're, what you're asking yourself to do is, is let go of a certain kind of freedom that you have we think we're free, so I'm going to just go and do whatever I want. That's what freedom is. Um, but one way you can say is, well, you're not really free. You're just a slave to like an addiction or a behavior or a pattern or an emotion. And it's left you with a kind of life that you're not super happy about or that you always think about wanting better. So how is that free? And how's that freedom made you happy? There's that great line from the movie um, uh, No Country for Old Men. He's in the gas station, he's like flipping the coin and he talks to like the gas station attendant. He's like, yeah. you know, if the rule that you followed in life got you to this point, of what use was that rule? And that's always really beautiful because he's saying like, the things that you followed are giving you the kind of life where you like are ultimately excited and thrilled about and happy. Then why would you, then you need another pair of rules, right? Um, and why that's, I think, contrary to 
maybe our generation is to connect yourself with something higher order almost automatically means that you're seemingly giving up on some kind of freedom, right? That you're now embracing some kind of discipline and you're limiting who you are. Um, and that's kind of contrary to the spirit of kind of today, right? That we can do what we want and the things that we want. Um, but with that is, is the danger that you may never get to a point of self-reflection and introspection where you're really questioning how happy you are in life. Um, and if you want a happier life and a better life, you have to kind of sacrifice, right? You have to give something up, attach yourself to something higher order because your order wasn't working, right? So you have to follow another set of rules and then do that very strictly. That's one of the reasons when I when I first um, got into Buddhism for, for a short period of time there, I really thought about maybe like being a monk. That's like the ultimate version of that, right? Like you have like super discipline, your life is very simple, um, but your discipline and the effort that you're really buying into this idea that I can't get there myself. I have to seek some other wisdom to help me lead me there. And that to me was just incredibly appealing because I, I, I intuitively saw for me how that was gonna work for me and how I, I just didn't have the tools to like think myself to like a kind of liberation or enlightenment or, or to will myself to like the kind of individual I wanted to be. I needed a path um, and that path can come in like a lot of forms for people. But I think from who I've talked to that in my life, I've undergone like same kinds of transformations and changed who they are as an individual in a really dramatic way, in a purposeful way. It always seems to have that that kind of dynamic. Those are that's part of the ingredients, right? You have to like kind of follow something, sacrifice a little bit of who you are or a lot of who you are, and get in line to to introduce a different kind of discipline in your life. Yeah, and I think people are um, very resistant to that change of behavior. Yeah. You know, it's just being, you know, who we are. Um, you know, it's not an easy thing. And you get you get stuck in, in the way that you are. Um, and it's, you know, for people to change something like that, it's it's a challenge. And like you said, having something to guide you is definitely um, the way that someone can actually fall through with that. It's very hard, I think, to just do it on your own with without any, any, any other guidance. Well, all those behaviors we do, to even like, you know, the more minor behaviors of just something like I'm trying to think of something like we're probably all really guilty of. I definitely am guilty of, but you know, I don't know. I don't know how much to, yeah, social media, right? So like probably the hour I spend a day, that's just a waste of scrolling and thumb exercising. Um, right. But that pattern, your, your body, your mind does this like beautiful, wonderful thing that just um, probably in an effort to kind of like, hey, I'm going to create a little bubble for you because I know you're fucking, I know your dumbass isn't ready to like see the world and <laughs> question yourself, right? And like face all these things of reality. So I'm going to keep you zoned in onto like this Instagram feed and this Twitter feed or whatever, because you're, you just, dude, you ain't ready, right? So in one brilliant way, like it's, it's kind of trying to protect you, right? But in, in the only way it can. Um, and we just, a large part of our day can be a lot of those behaviors like on infinite loop over and over again. And to even have like a glimmer of 
there's a, another thing they should teach in schools is how to think critically, right? How to be introspective and how to question like, hey, does this, can my life be a little bit better? Why is it that I kind of seem to like get pissed off at the same sorts of things over and over again? Why is it that I've lived like 38 years on this earth and this one kind of comment always like ticks me off. I should be able to like deal with something that simple, right? All these mm-hmm. little opportunities to kind of um, enact this change and we're mind so good at like not letting us do that. It's, it's, to your point, it's really hard. It's really difficult. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, dude, what, um, what things would you, I know you talked about like the inspiration towards like younger designers and that sort of thing, but is there any, like any other advice that you would give to like your older, your younger self? Like if you were able to go back in time and talk to young Sal. Yeah, dude, I don't think we have enough time to cover all the things. I would, <laughs> dude, I would, um, I've, uh, this, this is, you know, one of the things that I've done throughout my life and throughout the last part of my life is kind of, but the last thing you want to do in your life is die with any kind of regret, right? That must be like a horrible experience to have is to sit on your deathbed and, and look back and just kind of beat yourself up for all the things that you didn't get to do. And then you look back and you're like, you should have just done that, 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 that. Um, so I would, I would tell my younger self, one of the things was, as I shared, I got out of high school. I spent three years in community college just being a fucking loser, really. I well, I don't want to be that harsh on myself. I had a lot of fun. I was in the band. Um, I was going out a lot. I, you know, uh, um, had some great experiences with friends. There was a lot of socially that, that yeah. I accomplished, um, but at a really, really high cost. That I think I kind of dialed back a lot and learned more of a balance. So the third year of my community college I was about ready to like drop out because my grades just sucked. Um, I took a philosophy class, my first philosophy class ever. And we learned in class one, day one, from this, this gentleman named Dr. Krajan, who I later became really, really good friends with. And he's a big mentor of mine and person that I look back to as somebody who had a significant amount of influence in my life. Um, he taught like Plato's allegory of the cave in a very quick way. You know, it's the story behind um, the allegory of the cave is you live your whole life in the cave and what you're viewing is shadow puppets in front of you as a representation of the world. And one day somebody frees you from this puppet show and you go outside and you see the real world, the real trees and all this. And it, it's basically the matrix. Right? Uh, as I'm, as I'm listening to this, I'm like 21 years old or something, my mouth, my jaw just drops. I just think this is like the coolest thing I've ever Mind fucking heard. And my friend, my best friend, took this class and best friend to this day, um, Rob was in there and we were just like, whoa, <laughs> this guy's fucking awesome. This is old, old, old Harvard-educated guy, a genius really teaching at a community college of philosophy. And um, I aced that class. I did really, really well. I was so nice. interested in that. And I didn't even realize it. it got towards the end of the semester and I was like, holy fuck, like I got an A. And I was like, how do I learn more of this? I was like, I think I have to get an education. So 
I spent the next two years retaking all the classes I had failed in three years. I did take summer school. At that point in my life, I don't think I've ever, I ever read more than like one or two books, maybe three books. Um, I spent like two summers, should you not, like morning to night in our school library, like reading, like I was devouring books, like two or three books a week, dude. And just like catching up, like I was, like I had been tapped into a whole world of thinking, right? From philosophy to like anthropology to these really great and grand concepts. Then I, you know, I fell in love with books at that point. And so I, I retook all my classes. I aced all my classes. I got in the honor roll of our community college, if you can believe that. Yeah. Um, applied to UCLA, got in, and then um, studied philosophy there because I thought I wanted to teach what I loved and what got me into, interested into being intellectual to any, any degree. Uh, but it didn't go that route. Um, but, you know, that that moment, I apologize how, why I even went on that tangent. No, no, it's all good. No, no apologies. Um, but, and I'm sure it was part of what I was, the point I'm trying to make now, um, but it's, you know, to me, that's always looked as like a very like good example as to that introspective moment, a moment when the world can like shock you a little bit or make you fall into, in love with something. And that point it was intelligence and reading and books and ideas and concepts, um, yeah, dude, and you're, smart you're enough to be like, a capitalist. Yeah, dude. Right. Yeah, exactly. That was it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was your inspiration right there. That was definitely a, a huge turning point. Oh, so now I know why I brought that point up. Because you said, what do I tell my younger self? So yep. I would tell my younger self was like, look, um, I know you don't think that like higher education and those things are in your card, but like they definitely are. So if you really wanted to, you can get into like a school or even I wouldn't even say a school at this point because my views on whether or not you need a higher education have changed but you can apply yourself to like whatever it is you want to do and do it right now I would have told myself that at like 16 17 18 years old it's like get through high school and there's this whole world at the same time I was like traveling abroad for the first time that had a huge impact I think I just would have tried to inspire myself as to like all the things that I know I would have been inspired by later on, that mm -hmm. those things came much for me much later in, in my life, probably because I just didn't have anybody in my life that had those experiences that I was close to that can be like, you can travel abroad or this is what's great about like, you know, being really interested in, in these subjects or, or this is what's great about whatever. So I would have really just tried to inspire myself. And I think I would know the right things to say of myself at certain points in life that would have cha changed me. But um, I don't, I, I wouldn't ever want to say I wasted parts of my life. I don't think that, but I could have had a lot more balance. And um, seeing where I would have, if I would have been interested in all those things much earlier in my life, I'm just super hyper interested in terms of what kind of life I would have ended up living, right? So I would just try to simply inspire myself and then to the younger folks the designers out there um man like dude it's a cliche and you probably feel this way but like 
you have all the time in the world. Like you really do have all the time in the world. You should act like you, you know, and that doesn't mean you should, should, should be slow, but don't hurry trying to get to someplace and feel like it's an ending, right? You should be hurrying to try as many things as possible. Cause you, yeah. really, I, I'm at the age now, dude, where I feel like, dude, I can start from ground zero, right? Like that's how much time I feel like I have. Right, exactly. Yep. And I think it, it's, uh, you have to try different things because you never know coming back to like your experience. If you don't try, you're not going to know what situation is going to inspire you or what, what something there is going to like, you know, fuel that fire for you. Yeah, dude. Try, uh, well, try everything. What do you tell like the designers coming up, man? Cause you're, you know, you represent somebody who's like a cornerstone within our design community. I'm sure hundreds of people talk to you about design and what to do. I, like, what's your perspective on that? Um, I like pretty much a lot of that is, you know, really try to do a lot of different things. Like I know everyone like talks about being a master of something and I think that's good and that's important, but I think it's really important to be well-rounded because there's all those different disciplines that you can help to grow yourself to be better at, at whatever you're going to do. Um, and you'll use those elements. And I look back now, you know, with my life and I mean, I've had all these different jobs within like the design industry or the creative yeah, industry. Right. And um, all of those like have led me to where I am today. And I don't, I wouldn't be where I am today unless I had all those little elements or all those different type of creative jobs um, to, to do what I do. Um, and so that's why, you know, always be open to opportunities, you know, um, and um, always be learning like new things all the time. You know, there's been times where, you know, I've gone into working on something and they're like, oh, can you do this? And I've never done it before. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And I'll, you know, bust my ass and learn how to do that, you know, um, and you just figure it out. Um, yeah. Another thing that I tell a lot of people is, um, you know, spend a lot of time creating for yourself, you know, your own, your own projects, whatever that may be. Um, you have to do sh show the type of work that you want to do, um, and and the the type of work that inspires you. So and I think that's yeah. super super helpful. Somebody told me a long time ago that um, if you're ever interested in learning a new skill, you should try to learn it through the lens of like something that you're interested in. So they're like, look, if you want to learn a new language, like go buy like The Walking Dead in, in Spanish and try to read it, right? Because it will hold. Like, don't go read like. I don't know, the tale of two cities. <laughs> like it's going to blow right. your death, right? Or if you want to be like an artist, like go recreate your favorite, you know, attach it to something to your point, like your own creative endeavors that will keep those juices um, flowing and, and inspire you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll, you'll be amazed at what you can take from that. So any other closing things or anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up, dude? <sighs> You know, what I really um, struggle is is a word that I use a lot in, in my career and in my job, because we often say from a consumer insights point of view is the insight comes from, uh, there's a really good researcher in our field, his name's Bob Moesta, and he, he has this quote that says, you should look at where people struggle to do something, and that's going to give you the insight for your product or service, right? So you know this, I'm sure. Um, but for me, it's really interesting to apply that to your own life in the most 
minute ways and things that don't seemingly feel like struggles. Like, dude, it's it's sometimes really hard to pull away from a mad Twitter feed moment, right? <laughs> like, right, that's yeah. a struggle, right? Um, and and I just find those moments fascinating because those are really like wonderful opportunities to have a good opportunity to have a good conversation with yourself and to learn a little about about yourself. So I, yeah. dude, this was fun, man. I can keep talking cool. about this kind of stuff for a minute. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. Really, dude, this was really really fun. Um, I like that you really went deep with it. Um, I think it was really important. So it was cool. It's the it was only really way cool. I know how to roll, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, if anyone wants to connect with you at all, are you down for for sharing any of your information, uh, anything on like social or LinkedIn or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, you want to see a bunch of pictures of my daughter and uh wines i drink <laughs> instagram sally bravo or at sally bravo and then if you want to hear me explode with rage often um you can go to my twitter feed with that has like four followers <laughs> because i'm probably that <laughs> annoying on there um i believe it's also at sally bravo cool yeah billy is adorable by the way so it's yeah, uh, really crazy seeing her grow um you know, from being there, from from seeing her when she was first born to how big she is today is a trip. Um, you know, now that my daughter's 12, going to be 13. Oh, my goodness. Um, she's 12 already. Yeah. Wow. And so it's just, it's, I, I, you know, it's like when I see Billy, it takes me back to that time when Audrey was two. And just their their crazy style, um, just, you know, their, their presence, their personalities. Um and yeah, dude, it's, 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 they're not, I know it's so cliche because everyone's like, oh yeah, it goes by really fast. And when you're a parent and they're not fucking around, dude, it really, really is like my, you know, like I, you know, look back at certain parts of my life and um, where I know where things happen or like, oh, well, Audrey was this age when this happened or like, that's kind of how I look back and like understand my timeline of my life now is those different stages in, in her life. Yeah, man, you kind of pin those pivotal moments to them and to all the changes that that they're having. You know, what's it's crazy, and um, I don't know if you have this, but you know, with my phone, um, I think I have pictures, every picture going back to like 2013 or something like that, right? So when you click on your camera roll, it's just a crazy time traveling machine, man. You yeah. know, like oh, you point out, right. like, oh, that summer or that summer, something that until 10 years ago, we really didn't have as a society, like that access to like those memories, just like that. Um, and you're exactly right, right? I'm looking through this, I'm like, oh, that was her first step, or oh, that's, that was the day, remember when she got to eat bacon for the first time, or right. um, and they're all right there. And it's just, a, it's a crazy experience to go through that camera roll with a family and with a child, um, because it's, there's nothing quite like that. Right. I mean, we had, you know, printed photographs when we were kids, but it's not, it was very few and they get lost and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully people are backing their phones up on the cloud and shit like that. So they don't lose it. Cause I know later man. on, you're going to want to look back at it. So. Well, dude, thanks again, man. This was awesome. Uh, really appreciate your time and uh, connecting with me, dude. Absolutely, man. I had a blast.